study of the Word of God a priority in your life. Brother Scotty had to be out of town tonight with his job. He's going to some training classes, and so uh, he's not able to be with us. So we won't be having a song tonight. We're just going to dive right into the Word of God. So take your Bibles. Turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter number 5 is what we're going to be looking at. Um, <clears throat> we're going to continue doing our verse-by-verse study, as we always do, through uh, the book of Galatians. And tonight, the text we'll be looking at is Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 through verse number 26. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, I told you that uh, there were four main points that I wanted to give you from this text in Scripture. And number one, we said we wanted to look at the controversy between the flesh and the spirit, and we did that. And then we looked at, in verse number 16, the clear command that the Word of God gives us when it says to us to be led of the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We should be controlled by the Spirit as children of God so that we would be pleasing unto the Lord and, and not live in the old way like the old man. And so then we, we saw those two things. And then last week we started with the third point, the credentials of the flesh and the Spirit. We looked at what Paul calls the works of the flesh, and I call them the credentials of the flesh because it's evidence of the flesh being in control when these things are evident in your life and that we looked at that in verses 19 through 21 and so tonight I'm very excited about these services I couldn't wait to get here and be with you tonight because we get to talk about how God the Holy Spirit works on us works in us and works through us as believers now how many of you are thankful and amazed tonight that God works on in and through us (laughs) I don't know about you, but that still blows my mind every time I think about it. The Apostle Paul, I believe, felt the same way. That's why he said we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. And that's exactly what it is. God has put himself in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's in every believer. And the Bible says he works on us, he works in us, he works through us. And when he does, it will be evident in our life these fruits that are mentioned these fruits of the Spirit, right here in Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse number uh, 21 and 22, okay? And so, excuse me, uh, 22 and 23. And then last but certainly not least, I want us to see this evening the cancer of conceit. That'll be point number four that we'll be mentioning um, there in the last part of that scripture. So let's just read together these fruits of the Spirit, starting in verse number 22, and then we'll unpack this as far as we can. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're so very thankful for your many blessings in our life. Lord, I'm thankful that you've done for me what I couldn't do. And I'm thankful that you've given me the power through you, Holy Spirit, um, to live out my faith. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us tonight to get a hold of this truth that you've given us. Make plain to us your word so that we might be more effective in serving you and loving others. Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be this evening. In Jesus' name we we pray. Amen. Now, again, folks, when we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit, um, this is not a new concept. (laughs) 
Amen. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus speaks of fruit a whole lot in his own personal ministry. We find it in Matthew chapter number 7 and we find it again in John chapter number 15. And so I want you to keep your place there in Galatians chapter 5 and just flip over with me for a minute to Matthew chapter number 7. Okay, And we're going to look at those two things that Jesus said in Matthew 7 and John 15, and then we'll come back to Galatians chapter number 5. How many times have I told you that the Word of God is the best commentary for the Word of God? And really what Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 5 is giving us commentary on what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and also again in John chapter number 15. It's amazing to me how God the Holy Spirit gives us exactly what we need through inspiration or by inspiration through different people. Amen. Jesus said it in Matthew 7, John 15. John gives us, or excuse me, Paul gives us understanding of it in Galatians chapter number 5. That's what we see in the Word of God. Now, I, one thing that somebody just asked me last week, they said, Brothers, well, why do you go verse by verse? Why do you go uh, expositorily through a book of the Bible when you're doing your Bible study. Why don't you do more topical sermons? And sometimes I do speak on certain topics as the Lord leads. But there's several reasons I like to go verse by verse. Number one, I just want to give you three of them before we go any further this evening. Number one, I like going verse by verse because that's what I feel God has called me to do and led me to do as your pastor. And I want to be spirit-led. I want to do what God wants when he says do it. He's the boss, can you say amen? He's the head of the church, and so I want to make sure I'm doing what I believe he wants me to do as your pastor. Number two, when we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible, then folks, it gives us, um, it, it enables us to keep everything in context. And as I've told you many times, Context is king. See, if we don't keep the Word of God in context, then we can make it say whatever we want it to say. And that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. I don't want to make God's Word say what I want it to say. I want to let God's Word speak for itself. And the only way we can properly do that is if we keep God's Word in proper context. And that's why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through the Word of God. Number three, let me tell you why I go verse by verse, why I preach expositorily through a book of the Bible, especially in our Bible study time on Wednesday nights. I do that because if you stick with God's Word in its entirety, if you go verse by verse, then let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to deal with everything good and everything bad that a Christian deals with. Because, listen to me now, God's Word speaks to all of it. When I'm talking about the good things, you're going to get a hold of the benefits of sonship. How many of you know, being a part of the family of God, being the adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God, of Almighty God it comes with a lot of privileges. The, the Bible calls them spiritual blessings. And we get to find out when we go through the Bible all the good things that God has for His children. And I love that. Man, I love talking about that stuff. But, but not only do I want you to see the benefits that we enjoy by being born again into God's family, I also want you to see the things that we struggle with. And we all struggle with stuff from time to time. How many of y'all in here got some stuff you struggle with? All of us do. Every one of us. And, and if you stick with the Bible, if you stick with the Word of God and verse-by-verse verse study of the Bible, you're going to deal with everything, good and bad, that we deal with. Amen? 
whether it be blessings that we have on the good side or struggles that we face on the bad side. Everything good and bad, you'll deal with it, and the Bible gives you direction concerning that. So that's why we go verse by verse. Let, let me let, just go a, a step further. I had a, a young man come to me two weeks ago after a Sunday morning service, and it blessed my heart. He said, Brother Israel, I just, I've, been keep, I've been taking notes uh, while you've been preaching. And he said, you told us you was going to give us three points, you only gave us two points. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and sometimes that happens just because I sometimes lose my mind and, and get off track and, and get excited and, and forget where I'm at. Sometimes that just happens. And, and, that's, and when that does, feel free to ask me because if you need notes or you want my notes, I can give them to you. And I'll be glad to do so. So um, I was just glad the young man was taking notes. But that, that's one thing, reason I wanted to remind you tonight of the four points that we'll be looking at. Because I want us all to be on the same page. I want us to glean all we can from God's precious, powerful word. Because that's what changes lives. How many of you believe tonight the word of God coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit is what changes us to become what God wants us to be? And so that's why we want to dig deep into this Word that we know is truth because it makes all the difference in our lives as believers. So let's look over in Matthew chapter number 7 quickly and then in John chapter 15. We'll go through this um, just as quick as possible and then we'll get back to John, uh, Galatians chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something about fruit here that I know all of you have probably heard. You've probably studied it, um, heard it many times. But man, it is so powerful. It's so good. This is what he says, Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them this by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. If you believe what God's word says, say amen. And so Jesus, he says, if you really want to identify the true and the false prophet, if you want to identify what's real and what's fake, the main litmus test you use is their fruit. And that's important we remember that, okay? Now, I think we should certainly listen to what people say. I listen, if I'm listening to a preacher, I listen to what they say. Amen? And I've come to find out you can learn a whole lot from good preachers and you can learn a whole lot from bad preachers. And I listen to all of them. If I'm listening to them, I listen to what they say and I listen intently because I want to see where they're going with this. Now listen to me, folks. But if I know the truth, I can spot the lie. Amen? That's why it's so important that we know what thus says the Lord so that we can spot when God's word is not being preached, when it's not according to truth, the message that you're hearing. And so I listen to what they say, and we all need to do that. But it goes much deeper than in just listening to what they say. We need to listen to what they say, but Jesus said the, the real litmus test is what they do. Now, now, why does he say that? Because a lot of people can speak well. And a lot of false prophets, especially false prophets, they're usually really good salesmen. And they sell themselves well, and they sell their message well. 
And they speak really good, so everybody listens to them, and it can be very dangerous. And if you don't believe me, I, I want you to think back in history to a man by the name of Adolf Hitler. Now, Adolf Hitler was probably one of the best speech givers, one of the best orders the, the world had ever known. If you don't believe me, go back and look at some of the, the old videos of him preaching to packed stadiums in, in Germany. And people being whipped into a frenzy by what he was saying. And ultimately, all of those, not all of them, but most of those people in Germany at that time thought, he, thought that he was leading them in the right direction. They really thought he was doing what was good for their country, for their people. Little did they know he would lead them into World War II and try to exterminate God's chosen people, the Jewish people, through the Holocaust. So he wasn't a, a, someone who was good. He was extremely evil. He was the epitome of evil. Now, he spoke real good, but his fruits didn't match what he was promising. Amen? So, uh, again, that's why you've got to remember, it's good to listen to what people say and gauge that according to the Word of God, but you also need to look at the fruit they're bearing because sometimes you can be fooled by speech. And so Jesus said, look at the fruit. A good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. That's how, you, that's how you determine what's true and what's false. It's not as much what people say, but what they do. Because guess what? I can say anything. And all of us can talk a good game on Sunday. All of us can come in here for an hour on Wednesday night and talk a good game on Wednesday. Because guess what? It's easy to talk a good game in here. We're all pretty much on the same page in here. There's no opposition much, really, in here. <laughs> Some, but not a lot. Now, when you get outside, everything changes. There's a lot of opposition. When you get to your workplace tomorrow, there's a lot of people against living godly. When you get to your school tomorrow, wherever you're going, there's a lot of people there that are, are not on the same page with Christian living, amen, like we are here. So we can all talk a good game here, but what really matters is what we do out there. Can you say amen? Now, I'm thankful for in here, and I'm glad you're faithful to be in here. But what really matters is out there. That's where the true test is. And so Jesus said you need to be looking at their fruit. What kind of fruit is evident in their life? Dr. J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite preachers and Bible commentators of all time, that brother said this concerning Matthew chapter 7. He said that fruit is determined by the root. And if you want to have the right fruit, you've got to have the right root. Does that make sense to you? If you are rooted and grounded in Jesus, if you've truly trusted in Christ as your personal Savior, then there's going to be some evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. To have the right fruit, you got to have the right root. Now, he didn't only talk about fruit in Matthew chapter 7, but also in John chapter 15. Let's look over there. John 15. And I just want to read to you the first five verses. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot, everybody say cannot, bear fruit itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. 
Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Somebody say much fruit. Now that's what God wants from us. Much fruit. And that's what is, um, listen, possible in the life of a believer. Much fruit. But the way we get much fruit, Jesus said, it's not through our ability, but through our abiding. Amen? It's not through our ability. Even though God gives us ability, and that's a good thing, but that's not really what fruit comes from. Fruit comes from abiding. I'm talking about abiding in Jesus. Listen, living with him, for him, allowing him to live through you. Jesus said, when you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It's not by our ability, but through abiding that we bear the fruit of a child of God, of a branch from the vine. That's what he's saying. And he's also saying that it's not through... The, the, the fruit in the life of a believer does not simply happen, um, folks, just by trying our hardest, but by trusting in Him. Amen? But by looking to Him daily and allowing Him to have complete control of our life. Fruit in the life of a believer does not happen by determination, but by divinity in us. Amen? It's the work of God the Holy Spirit working in us, working on us, and working through us so that we'll see his evidence at work in our life. That's what it's about. See, what I want you to get a hold of is this. It's not about your ability, and it's not about you trying harder a lot of times in bearing fruit. It's about really abiding in Christ. See, you don't see an apple tree out in the yard or out in the field. Has anybody ever seen an apple tree out in the field going, Ah! Distraining and trying to bear apples? That's not how it works, is it? No. Why does the apple tree bear apples? Because that's what it is. That's what it is. It has the right root. Therefore, it has the right fruit. It's not about simply trying, but trusting. Not about ability, but abiding. It's not about simply us being determined, but the divine work of God in us that causes us to bear fruit. And Paul makes that very, very clear. Watch how he says it. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Look how he describes the credentials of the flesh and the credentials of the spirit. Look how he describes this. When he's speaking of the flesh, look how he puts it in verse 19. Now the works, everybody say the works. The works of the flesh is all this stuff that we looked at last week. All that you see right there in uh, verse number 19 and verse number 20 and verse number 21. He calls them the works of the flesh. Now when you think about works, I think about toil and strain and effort. That's what happens if you're working. Amen? But, but then when he describes the work of the, or the fruit of the Spirit, he describes it that way. Fruit, not work, but fruit. How many of you understand, listen to me, fruit is a product of life, not toil and effort and strain. Again, you don't see the apple tree out in the field straining to bear fruit. 
it bears fruit because of what it is. Amen? See, what I'm trying to say to you is this. So many times we focus on the doing instead of focusing on the being. But if we will focus on the being and get that right, the doing will take care of itself. Are you getting me? These are not works of the Spirit, but fruit of the Spirit. Fruit that is produced by life. That's what he's speaking of, the life of God, the Holy Spirit, working on us, working in us, and working through us. As far as Jesus goes, he said, fruit is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branch. He is the vine, we are the branch, and as his life is being pressed out through us, it shows up for all the world to see. If you got it, say, I got it. The fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at these. Watch this. He first of all starts, there's nine of them, and he starts with love, and there's a reason for that. He says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, the reason he starts with love, I believe, is because all the rest of the fruits is simply an outcropping of love, okay? If you uh, have the, the fruit of love in your life, then you will be joyful. If you have the fruit of love in your life, then you will have peace. If you have the fruit of love in your life, you'll be long-suffering, you'll be gentle, and you'll be good. See, the, 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 all the other fruits is just an outcropping of love. Amen? Now, what is this love that he speaks of here? Because throughout the Word of God, there's three separate words used for love. You had the word um, phileo, which we kind of talked about Sunday morning, the brotherly love, can you say amen, that's mentioned in the Word of God. When we talked about Philadelphia in, over in uh, the book of Revelation, that speaks of brotherly love. It was the church of love. Can you say amen to that? That's what... We ought to be a church of love, no doubt about it. Then you have um, the, the word for love in the Greek, the word eros. That's not what's mentioned here. That's the exotic type love that is experienced between a husband and a wife. And then you have uh, the agape love. That's the godlike love, the way God loves us, the way God loves the world. Amen. That's the word that's being mentioned here in Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 22. It's the word agape, the God-like love. Now let me share something with you. It is absolutely impossible for you to express this type of love, this agape love, without the work of the Holy Spirit and you being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. We know that because of what God's Word commands us to do concerning this. Let me, let me see if I can make that more clear. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 25. Ephesians 5, 25. Brother uh, Nathan, if you will please, sir, put, put that on the screen for us. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That same word that's used in Galatians 5, 22 is used in Ephesians 5.25, agape love. That's what he's speaking of. Now, how many of you understand? And he's writing there in Ephesians 5.25 to Christian men, to brothers in Christ. And he's saying to them, you need to love your wives as Jesus loved the church. How many of you know that is absolutely impossible if you are not controlled by the Spirit? 
If God the Holy Spirit is not working on you, in you, and through you, if you are not filled with Him and He's, listen, um, working through you, controlling your actions, controlling your words, controlling your decisions, you'll never love your wife as Christ loved the church. Because, listen, if you are not controlled by the Spirit, there's only one other option. And that's to be controlled by the flesh. Ain't that what we're talking about? The spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh lusteth against the spirit. If you're not controlled by the spirit, you can only be controlled by the flesh. And if you're controlled by the flesh, you're going to want what you want, when you want it, how you want it. It's all going to be about me and not about her. That's why I keep saying, we will never be the husband our wife needs us to be. That God wants us to be. Unless first of all. We've been born again into God's family. And God the Holy Spirit indwells us. And. We as believers. Are allowing the God the Holy Spirit to control us. Because even as believers. We can get in the flesh. And live like the old man. Amen? Without the work of the Spirit and the controlling of the Spirit in a man's life, he'll never love his wife as Christ loved the church. You cannot express that type of love without God's power. That's why it is a fruit of the Spirit. Look what else. Matthew chapter 5. Verse number 44, the Bible says something there, man, that's so good. It says that we are to love our enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now let me ask you something. If you are operating in the flesh, I'm talking about in that sinful nature that you were born with, that, that, that you got from Papa Adam that we've talked about, if you're operating in the flesh, will you be able to love your enemy? No way. It's not going to happen. What are we going to do? We're going to do to our enemy what our enemy tries to do to us before they do it to us. But Jesus said, we are to love our enemies. We are to pray for them which despitefully use you. Wow. I don't know about you. Have you ever been used and you know you're getting used? I don't know about you getting taken advantage of and you know it. That is hard to stomach. When you know somebody's doing your own, using you up, that is hard to take. And without the work of the Holy Spirit causing you to love those people, you'll never do it. Prompting you to pray for those people, you'll never do it. This is a work that God can only do in and through us. He says, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You cannot express this agape love without, first of all, God the Holy Spirit being in you, working on you, working in you, amen, and you being controlled by him as a believer. It has to happen that way. Let me give you another one. Ephesians 
Watch this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 15. I've got to read this regularly as a pastor. Watch. But speaking the truth out in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. It's important that I speak the truth, but I must do it lovingly. Amen? Listen to me, moms and dads. It's important that you speak the truth to your children. You must do it lovingly. We must speak the truth to our friends and neighbors, but we must do it lovingly in the right attitude. We must speak the truth, but if we don't speak it in love, then we can sometimes hurt much more than we help. You say, well, I, brother, it's the truth. If it's the truth, I'm going to say it. You better hold up on that. Watch that. If you do it in the wrong spirit, with the wrong attitude, you can make more of a mess and hurt things more than you help things. If there's one thing the Lord has shown me. A lot of times it's not what we say, but how we say it. And you get a whole lot of more bees with honey then you do vinegar. Are you getting what I'm saying? But without the work of the Holy Spirit, we can't do that. We can't speak the truth in love. Are you getting what I'm saying here? You can't express this love without God the Holy Spirit being in you, working on you, working through you, and you being controlled by Him. You can't do it. That's Paul's point. See, really what he's saying is, look, you can be a legalist and not do the bad things, but you can't be simply a legalist not doing the bad things and still perform the good things. Amen? That's what he's saying. Now listen to me. To love is to speak truth. According to Ephesians 4.15, would you agree? Yeah, according to pretty much the whole New Testament. If you really love somebody, you've got to speak truth. Listen to me, folks. There's a lot of things as I'm preaching through the Word of God that I'd rather not preach. I'd rather just skip over it and move on to something else. I really had. Matter of fact, a lot of times the Lord will give me a message. Man, I'll be studying on it, and I'm thinking, Lord, please, I do not want to say this. I don't want to go in this direction. I don't want to deal with this. However, God has reminded me, continually reminds me, that if I really love someone, I've got to tell them the truth. Amen? Even though it's easier to skip over that and go to something else. If there's one thing I found out in being a pastor, as God has called me to preach the word of God, is that people will either do one of two things when it comes to the preaching of God's word. Either they will take it for what it is, absolute truth that came from God, Holy Spirit inspired, written down by men. They will take it for that, apply it to their life, and act accordingly, repent and act accordingly, or... That, that which will bring them closer to Jesus, 
or they will reject it, get mad, and get further from Jesus. And many times, they look at the messenger as the one who messed up everything. Let me tell you why, because ignorance is bliss. If you don't know what it says, then why should you feel bad about what you're doing wrong? But when you know, then you got to make a decision. Are you getting what I'm saying? And many times that messes stuff up. And so it becomes very hard to preach truth. But I realize if I really love, I've got to share truth. Do you understand me? If I love God, I've got to share his truth. If I love you, I've got to share his truth. Amen? Let's just say that me and Brother Andy, we were out on a, on a hike in the middle of the woods. We walk up on a railroad track. And he goes along ahead of me, walking on the track, while I'm climbing up the side of, of a hill to see where we need to go next. And he's walking along the railroad track and, and, and I look out ahead being up on the hill and I see that there's a train coming, but this brother don't see it. He's still walking up the track and the train's coming through the forest. Now he don't see the train coming. He's just enjoying the day walking on the track. Now, let me ask you something. Would, how much would I have to hate Andy if I didn't yell down and say, hey, brother, you better get off the track. There's a train coming. How much would I have to hate him not to share with him that very important truth? Now, I may yell down to Andy and say, hey, brother, you better get off the track. Now, he can yell up to me and say, hey, I tell you what, I like walking on this railroad track. I feel good when I walk on railroad tracks. I've always wanted to walk on a railroad track, and I'm fixing to keep walking this railroad track and stay out of my business. Okay. That's his decision. But it's my duty, if I love him, to tell him about the train. He can say, man, I sure appreciate you. I'm glad that you did, told me about the train coming. Because if you hadn't, it would have been real bad for me. Isn't this really our mission as children of God? Speaking truth that sometimes is hard to hear in love. That is what we preach when we preach the gospel. See, you can't effectively preach the gospel unless you tell people about sin. They'll never understand their need for a Savior until they understand they're lost. And they'll never see their lostness until you put their sin right in front of them according to what God's word says. And believe me, I've been in some situations where you tell people they're a sinner and they get pretty mad about it. Well, I tell you what, I'm just as good at the people down there at the church and that deacon that left his wife and I'm just as good as that pastor that done this and didn't do that. I'm just as good as them hypocrites down there at Mount Zion. It's hard. That's why I'm saying it takes God the Holy Spirit to help us do this stuff and to do it the right way. We can't express this type of love 
unless he's working on us, in us, through us, and we are being controlled by him and not walking in the sinful flesh. He says there's a fruit of the Spirit called love, and then he says there's a fruit of the Spirit called joy. Let me give you a definition I found this week for joy that I absolutely love. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says the inward peace and sufficiency not affected by outward circumstances. That's joy. Now, that's good stuff right there. I love that. The inward peace and sufficiency not affected by outward circumstances. That's good stuff. I like that. How many of you understand this joy can only be realized with a personal relationship with Jesus? That's the only way it can happen. That's why he said it's a fruit of the Spirit. Because listen, true joy comes in Jesus. And there's a lot of difference in having joy and being happy. Happiness is based upon what happens to you. Amen? My happiness can be given or taken away by some very minuscule things. Let me, I, I told you a story here a while back uh, about my Saturday morning ritual. All right, This is what I usually do about every Saturday morning. I like to get up early. I go in, and the first thing I do is put myself on a, a good pot of coffee, all right? Get it brewing, then I jump in the shower. And if it's football season, I'm getting ready just a little bit to watch some game day, which I regularly do this time of year on Saturday mornings. And so I've got my pot coffee brewing. I get in the shower, jump out. When I jump out of the shower, that coffee is just about done. And then I look in the cabinet for some cinnamon toast crunch. Praise God for Cinnamon Toast Crunch. If you've never ate Cinnamon Toast Crunch, go get you a box tonight. If you don't like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, get in this altar Sunday morning and get your heart right. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the best cereal that's ever been created. Now, I'll pour me up a big bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'm talking What I use for my Cinnamon Toast Crunch probably ain't what you use. I use the soup bowl with the handle on it because I'm about to get serious with it. I'm talking about and, and the soup ladle. Also, because I got a big mouth. That's how I eat my Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And so, man, I done poured up a big old pot of Cinnamon Toast Crunch coffee already done, poured in the cup. Then I go to the refrigerator. I'm so happy. I'm so happy, man. It's a great Saturday morning. We're fixing to watch game day. I've got my coffee, my Cinnamon Toast Crunch ready to go. Walk to the refrigerator, open it up. Guess what's happened? My goofy youngins <laughs> have put an empty milk jug that looked like it had some milk all the way in the back of the refrigerator. So nobody knew we were out of milk. If you don't know you're out of milk, then you don't buy milk when you go to the, hot, to the grocery store. Right? And so we're out of milk. Guess what happened? I went from being really happy to really sad. Just like that. All because of cereal. You get me? All because of cereal. Happiness differs from joy, for joy is that inner peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. Now, I didn't lose my mind because we didn't have any Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Why? Because I knew I wasn't going to starve to death. It didn't ruin my whole life and my whole day. Let me tell you why. Because my joy is truly not found in Cinnamon Toast Crunch found in Jesus that's why people who lose their job but have Jesus can still have joy 
Because their joy is not found in a job, it's found in Jesus. That's why people who lose their house can still have joy. Because their joy is not found in a house, but in Jesus. That's why people who can even lose people can still have joy. Because their joy is found in Jesus. And they still have that inner peace and sufficiency that only comes in Christ. Love and joy are fruits of the Spirit. Then he says something else. He says peace. This peace is mentioned in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7. Paul says it's the peace that passes all understanding. Peace for living, peace for dying. Now I'm glad I got peace for dying. Aren't you? Folks, there was a time in my life when I'm telling you, I would have been absolutely terrified to lay down and go to sleep. I mean, it would have shook me up bad because I knew I wasn't ready to meet the Lord. I knew I was not ready for eternity. And I knew if I died that night before I woke up the next morning that I was going to hell. I knew it. And I would sometimes get to thinking about that and lay in my bed and quiver in fear because I knew I wasn't ready. Hey, a, a bad storm come up? It's... <laughs> It'd terrify me. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because what if a tornado comes and blows me away and I know I ain't saved? Because I knew I was supposed to be saved. I got a hold of that truth. I knew I could only go to heaven if I was saved. Amen? And I knew I wasn't saved, so I worried about everything. What if I get in a car and, and I wreck on the way to, way to school or way to work or wherever I'm going? And What about that? I mean, do you see how hard it is for people to function? Not having peace for dying? Do you see it? Because I was there. I see it. That's where I was. But when I trusted in Jesus, I'm telling you, he gave me peace for dying. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I may not make it out of here alive tonight, but if I don't, if I fall dead before we end this service, don't you worry about me. Because I'll be more alive in that moment than I've ever been. I realize for the child of God who's placed their faith in Christ and been born again into the family of God that the last breath on earth is followed by your first breath in heaven and really all we do is change addresses to a much better address, to a much better home. So I'm glad I got peace for dying. And you really can't have peace for living until you have peace for dying. But when you have peace for dying, then you can have peace for living. Does that make sense? And what do I mean by peace for living? I don't know what Joe Biden's going to do. I don't think nobody does. I don't even think he does. I really don't. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if gas is going to go to $7 a gallon. It's looking like it's headed that way. I don't know if we're going to have turkeys for Thanksgiving. I went in Dollar General just the other day to buy some dog food. I've never seen nothing like it in my life. We did not, I'm telling you, there was not one morsel of dog food on the shelf at Dollar General. And I thought, my goodness, Dollar General has not got any dog food, so I'm going to go to Walmart. I went all the way to Walmart. Walk in, guess what? There is not one bag of dog food in Walmart. I'm not asking for much. Dog food. I don't know if we're going to have food on the shelves in the next three weeks. I really don't. The way things are looking, who knows? We've all seen the stories of the ships in the sea and... and, and uh, L.A. and Miami and all the ports around the country that are backed up and they're saying all the supplies. Are, I don't know if they're out there or not. I don't know if we're going to get them before when we need them. I don't know, but guess what? I've still got peace.
peace that passes all understanding. Let's go a step further. COVID-19 is still being contracted and still taking lives. It's the truth. It's the world we live in. Folks, I don't know if COVID's going to get me or not. It might. I'm not so arrogant to say that it can't, and you shouldn't be either. But if it does, if it does, if that's what God allows to take me out of this life, I'm still going to a better place. I'm still winning. And so I'm not going to worry about COVID-19. I'm not going to go around licking door handles. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wash my hands. And, hey, exercise what we need to be exercising all along anyway, like some good personal hygiene. I'm going to do some of that. I'm going to use some good old-fashioned common sense. But I ain't going to quit living my life because I'm living in fear either. Let me tell you why. Because I got peace for living. Where do we get that from? From Jesus. Are you getting me? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Peace for living, peace for dying. Let's go on. He says, then, a long-suffering spirit. What does that mean to, that we are long-suffering? It means to be courageous, uh, endurance without quitting. It means that you are courageously hanging on and hanging in there. No matter what. I don't know about you. I've always been taught and I certainly believe quitters never win. And winners certainly don't quit. How about you? Let me tell you what bothers me so bad. When I see people give up on the Lord. If there's one thing, if there's one thing that absolutely breaks my heart as a pastor, it don't necessarily, and it hurts me when people leave and go to other churches. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle with that. Because I, I think we've got a great church. I think we've got a loving church. I'm thankful for our church. I'm proud that God has placed me right here. I'm thankful for you, and I love you, and I do see you as family. So it bothers me when I see people go to another church. But as long as they're going somewhere that they're getting a hold of truth and God's working in their life, hey, if that's where you feel you need to be, more power to you. Man, go serve Jesus. That's, the, that's the, my ultimate goal. I'm not, I'm not in this for Mount Zion. I'm in it for the kingdom. So if people feel like they can serve the kingdom better somewhere else, go somewhere else and serve the kingdom, if that's what God's led you to do. It still bothers me. still bothers me because you, 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 you uh, build relationships with folks. You know? still bothers me because I want to see our church grow. I don't like to see empty pews. It still bothers me every time I see an empty pew. So, so I, 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 it bothers me, but I can, I can deal with it. But what breaks my heart, what tears your heart out, is when you see people who were once so on fire for Jesus, who were once loving God and loving people, who were once so excited to be used to the Lord, completely quit on the things of God. That bothers me. That'll tear your heart out. As a pastor, let me tell you something. To be long-suffering means that we walk in courage. No matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, 
without quitting. That can only happen by work of the Spirit. Let's go on. As we are controlled by the Spirit, gentleness, it means kindness. It's when we treat others with kindness. Now, now let, let me say something to you folks. It don't cost you a dime to be kind. Do you know that? It don't cost you a dime. Let, let me give you some practical ways you can be kind. All right? How about waving at people when they wave at you? I don't know about you, but that disturbs me. Maybe it's because I'm from the South. And we all wave and, you know, at least this. I mean, you ain't got to hang out the window or nothing, but just off the steering wheel, give it an old wave. Just one finger. I'm good with that. But what I, man, it just really irks me deep down on the inside. When you see somebody that you know, you care about, and you thought they care about you, and you beat them on the road, and they just hi-hat you and drive right on by. You wave, and they just look at you. It don't cost you a dime to be kind. Every now and then, just a lot of times, just so I can have preaching material, I'll pull up at the red light. I go to work every morning at um, 6 o'clock. So I'm usually at the red light about 5.45, maybe 5.55 sometimes, and waiting on that long red light, and everybody that pulls up, I'm waving at them. Just see how they react. You'd be surprised at how many people won't wave at you. It don't cost you a dime to be kind. Does it? You know what? If somebody says good morning, say it back. That ain't going to hurt you a bit. Is it? If somebody says happy birthday, say thank you. If somebody says ain't it a beautiful day, don't go through 37 reasons why it's not a beautiful day. Just say it sure is. God's good to us, ain't he? Be kind. Be kind. See, if we're controlled by the Spirit, we should be kind. Amen? It bothers me when people who claim the name of Jesus sit on a church pew and act as though, look as though, they've been sucking on persimmons and baptized in pickle juice. Where's the kindness? Smile a little. It's okay. It's okay. Be kind. Smile. That's a good way. Nothing wrong with it. Enjoy life. Live life. It's a gift God's given you. Gentleness is kindness. Goodness is love in action. I like that. Love in action. Now listen. Years ago, right when I first started preaching, there was a, uh, I had the opportunity to go to a church and preach on a Sunday night. And during the course of that message, I, I preached on the fruits of the Spirit, and I talked about goodness. And I gave them a story that really taught me what goodness was all about. And this is what I told him. I said, um, you know, when I was a little boy, I used to go up and stay the night with my grandmother. She didn't live but about 75 yards from my house. And one of the sweetest women you've ever been around in your life, one of the best cooks you've ever been around in your life. And she would cook me every morning chocolate and biscuits. And I love chocolate and biscuits, one of my favorite things in the world. And so now she was retired at that time. She didn't have to get up early, but um, she would get up early. I got on the bus at that time at about 6.25. My mama was the school bus driver all my life, pretty much. And so whenever 
we got up, we were the first ones on, so we had to get up and get up, get on a bus early. 6.15, 6.20, 6.25, somewhere running there. My grandmother would get up at 5 and fix me chocolate and biscuits, wake me up, make sure I got ready, eat, and I would eat breakfast at her house before I left. And after I got older, I got to thinking about that. I thought, man, how good Mama was, you know, that she would get up every morning when she didn't have to and fix me chocolate and biscuits. Not that she couldn't have just handed me something from the fridge or a Pop-Tart or whatever else that she had laying there and said, get on, get on the bus. That would have been fine, too. But she went above and beyond, and she was good to me. And she'd get up and fix those chocolate and biscuits. And I went through that whole story, and um, I, I thought it made sense to me. I, I, I can see goodness in that, you know. And so I, as I was, everybody was leaving that night, I was standing at the back, and this brother comes walking through, and he says, I liked your chocolate and biscuits story. He said, well, let's take it a step further. He said, what's really good, what's really good, is if your grandma does that, does that for somebody who's not her grandson. Yep, buddy, you're right. You are exactly right. That's goodness. You see, folks, even someone in the flesh would get up and make biscuits for their grandson. But it takes someone controlled by the Spirit that'll get up and make the biscuits and the chocolate for somebody that's not their grandson. You get what I'm saying? To be controlled by the Spirit and to operate in love is to love people that sometimes don't deserve it. That sometimes deserves condemnation. Being good to them is a mark of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? I'm talking about people that look different than you, talk different than you, believe different than you, act different than you, live in a different kind of house that you live in. You understand what I'm saying? People that may not run in your social circle when you're good to them. That's a mark of the child of God. I'm not about being good to people, listen to me now, whom the world ain't good to and is mean to you because you're good to them. I'm even talking about people who you know is living in sin. Oh, no, wait a minute, brothers. We gotta st- I didn't say we don't stand for truth. We got to stand for truth now. Yeah, we're going to stand for truth. Absolutely, we're going to stand for truth. I'm not talking about condoning sin. I'm talking about hating sin. I'm talking about loving the sinner. See, everybody that you come in contact with is somebody Jesus died for. Do you know that man, woman, boy or girl that's living in a homosexual lifestyle? Do you know that's somebody Jesus died for? Do you know they deserve a certain amount of respect because that's someone Jesus died for? Do you know that? Do you know that person that believes different than you, politically speaking, is someone Jesus died for and they deserve a measure of respect? Do you know? Do you know the people that have done you wrong is somebody Jesus died for? And they deserve a measure of respect. When we're good to them, that's a mark of the Spirit. Amen? Faith, faithfulness, and dependability. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. That's what that means. That's a mark of being led by the Spirit. Meekness. Meekness is the right use of power and authority. It's power under control. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus was the meek and lowly Savior. 
He wasn't weak. He just had his power under control. And that's the way we ought to be. Parents, it's important that we be meek. Because if we're not meek, we're going to come across to our children. Listen to me now. As someone they hate to be around. As a dictator. Instead of someone who loves them. I'm not saying we don't, listen, hold up a standard of truth. Certainly we do. But we've got to be really careful that we use our authority in the wrong way. That's true for every one of us. Pastors, myself included. Hey, we've got to be meek. You use your authority and your power that God has given in the right way. Husbands, you have headship in the home. But that don't mean you're supposed to be a dictator. We're to have our power under control. Employers. You're to have your power, your authority under control. Temperance means self-control. That's the last fruit of the Spirit. And that's just what it says. Self-control. We are, from time to time, going to fall into sin. But when we do, we don't really fall. Do we? We jump. We jump. We make a decision. Especially those who know the truth. We make a decision whether we do it or we don't do it. Now, if you have no control in doing the wrong thing, you can't do the right thing. There's no self-control in your life. You can't say that you are led by the Spirit. And you have to question, are you controlled by the Spirit? See, some things, some things we don't need to do. And if we don't need to do them, God the Holy Spirit will give us temperance or self-control not to do those things. Whatever it is, however God convicts you, however God leads you. That's why Paul says all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. Amen? There are some things that convicted Paul that he said, you know what? I'm not going to be a part of that. That's all right. That's all right. Are you, getting, are you getting me? These are all fruits of the Spirit. When God is working on you, in you, through you, and when you're being controlled by Him. May we all be controlled by the powerful, precious Holy Spirit. This treasure inside this earthen vessel. Amen? Anybody got anything else? Comments or questions?